0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the latest show. I'm Seb Lozier and this week it's a real delight to be joined by former World number 2 French Open finalist Magnus Norman. Magnus is also now the coach of Stan Wawrinka and we spoke all about Stan and the Grand Slam successes he's had while they've been together, their relationship on and off the court and the Magnus Norman coaching philosophy. But we started with round two of the ATP Coaches Programme, basically an incredible online auction of promises, raising funds for fellow coaches struggling during the pandemic. And one of the lots up for grabs is a session with Magnus himself.
1: I'm going to try to give it everything I have. Uh, When when the player comes on court, I'm going to try to make the player as good as possible. So I think it will be a great experience going to try to make the same uh, kind of drills that I normally do with, with Stan and with the, with the pro players. So I think it's going to be a great session uh, and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: So what, what are those drills? Give us an idea. What can they expect?
1: They can expect to get the same 100 in as Stan Wawrinka, basically. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, but I'm going to do I'm going to do this, basically the same drills: a couple of hand feeding drills, a couple of racket feeding drills, some live drills, some live balls, and you know, try to get my my knowledge uh, when it comes to technical work uh, across to the players. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun experience for sure and uh, obviously a fantastic initiative from Danny uh, Valverde, who's uh, sort of put this together so it's going to be it's going yeah it's a fantastic thing actually
0: if you can guarantee a backhand like stands I'm in um, on a on a serious note how, how important is this come on give us an idea of how much the coaches you know l- lower down the coaching echelons really are really going to rely on this
1: First of all, I think it's great because uh, a lot of the top coaches, uh, uh, you know, they, they work with top players, and and uh, you know, it's, it's another financial situation. Maybe if you work with top players than than lower ranked players, and I think especially during these times, uh, lower players they, they they cannot afford to pay salary uh, of a coach when, when they're not working together. So obviously, the, the coaches are really struggling uh, at the moment. So I think it's a great that. You know the top coaches come together and uh, acknowledge that this uh, the lower ranked coaches and and uh, all the coaches actually. So, so first of all, I want to say that that's yeah, it's, it's incredible. Just the, the the thing that they are doing, the thing that we are doing together. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a great thing, and it can help a lot of the coaches uh, that that has been without salary for months now.
0: And we should probably say that to bid on all of these fantastic lots, um, people go, should go to ATPTour.com for the web to the website for more details and to to make their bid um magnus i, w- I want to talk more with you about your own coaching and about stan first though you've you got your own tennis academy you've had that for quite some time good to great with your former coach Mikhail tilström and also nicholas Coulty, i think how did you get into all of this
1: well, we started uh, talking together 2009, 2010, uh, you know, we, we, we were all uh, quite worried for Swedish tennis because no, no one was uh, coming really after Robin Söderling. And this was the years when I was coaching Robin, you know, so so we were a bit like, okay, uh, the federation, maybe it's not doing the, the right thing or, or maybe they are, you know, but maybe we can somehow help, you know, uh, so... Then me and Michael and Nicola started uh, talking together. You know, instead of instead of not doing anything or 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 saying that everything was better before. Okay, let's let's try to do something creative. Let's try to open an academy. Uh, so we started a, a Facebook page. Actually, uh, we we opened the academy and we said, okay, we are available from Monday at seven a.m. And uh, all of a sudden, we got quite a, a big demand from from national players first of all, and then international players uh, came on board as well. So. Throughout the years, we've been uh, we've been renting courts at different facilities, but we have always uh, had the vision to build our own facilities. And uh, two years ago, we were able to open our own facilities in, uh, in in a suburb close to to the city center of Stockholm. So it's uh, seven indoor courts, we have six outdoor courts, we have a gym, we have uh, accommodation, restaurants, and you know everything that you need to. To have a good solid base for your training. So yeah, it's been it's been a, a, a lot of work. I have to say, a lot of uh, early mornings and a lot of late nights and a lot of weekends. But but now you know when we have our own facility, I think all of us that we've been working with this are, are really proud.
0: You said it started out as a, as very much a Swedish project, but then has become an international project. What kind of well kids, I guess, are you welcoming in, or is it adults too?
1: We are focusing on kids uh, and, and youth players between uh, 10 and uh, 18, 19, 20. I would say uh, that's our, our sort of our core uh, group of, of players that we try to help. Uh, that's the, the years when when uh, when we can make the biggest impact, and those are the years that are in the career of a player are are the most important ones. So uh, we try to focus on the on the core, uh, which is between 12 and and 20. Uh, sorry, 10 and, and 20. I would say so. We are quite small, uh, so we are limited when it comes to amount of, of, of players that we can help. Uh, we, we have a maximum of 50 players only, so it's very important for us that we uh, get the, the right players on board, of course. But yeah, we like to get on, on court with the younger players. That's uh, It's, it's a, great, a great thing to do.
0: What are you looking for? What traits are you looking for?
1: I think the most important thing uh, is uh, the the passion that they have, the, the passion in their eyes, that they want to become better, you know a lot of a lot of coaches a lot of parents they talk about talent but uh, talent for me real talent for me is the, the ability to to work hard uh, on a daily basis even if you lose sometimes you know you lose some matches uh, but you don't lo- lose motivation when you lose you, you you go out and you work even harder when you lose you know that's the that's the real talent for me so uh, yeah that's important to to look at the, the passion in their eyes the ability to the, the coachability you know do i get any response from the players that I have in front of me Th- those kind of things are super important for me
0: In terms of your own approach to coaching and training, is it true that you kept a training diary at the age of 12?
1: Yeah, I mean uh, it sounds a bit crazy, I know it sounds a bit weird but I am promise I'm not weird I'm just from from a small city uh, <laughs> uh, only 6,000 people is, is from my city and uh, we didn't have any, any professional coaches when I was growing up, you know, my father was my coach so we sort of learn tennis together so it became uh, part of my, my process to write down all the, the sessions that I did and all the progress that I did so it was nothing, nothing more than that but I think it helped me to grow my tennis ID and, and my tennis mind a little bit when I was younger as well and maybe that's why I, I also became a successful coach.
0: And I guess this was all to try and emulate Stefan Edberg at the time was it as a young Swede was, was, he, was he the sort of poster boy of Swedish tennis at the time I guess he must have been.
1: Yeah, Stefan was my idol when I was growing up, and then uh, later he became uh, Jim Courier, actually, uh, from the United States. He became my idol when when I was playing more on the, on, the, on the junior tour. I saw him play, and I saw, saw him practice and compete. Uh, so yeah, those were my two idols when I was growing up.
0: You mentioned before about going back to the well, and you know when when you're you know when you've lost and how important that is. I've got to ask you about this story that Freddie Rosengren, your old coach, has told us a few times. I think it was Sydney 2000. You just lost the final to Laken Hewitt. And he said, uh, you know, he, he he says it so well. But I mean, you, you tell us what happened. You told him to go and get the balls. You wanted to get back out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, that happened on numerous occasions, actually. But maybe this was the, the one that's, you know, stuck on Fre- Freddie's mind. But uh, yeah, I told him to, you know, it was I think it was 40 degrees outside and... Just lost the final against Leighton. I, I felt like I should have maybe won that final. And yeah, I told, I told Freddie to, to bring a big, big basket of balls. We went out to a court uh, you know, across the street uh, where no one was watching and we, we, we kept playing for another hour. He kept feeding balls left and right. Uh, and yeah, that was the sort of, you know, I was a hard worker. I, was not, I, I didn't have the greatest of hands. I was a hard worker. So that
0: was my, my thing, you know. How much of that physical success in the game do you think comes down to the mental side of things how how big are you on the mental side of the game
1: i'm quite big on the mental side because everything starts in the head everything starts in uh, how you picture yourself playing how you picture yourself confidence wise where you picture yourself ranking wise so it's it's, everything starts in the head you know so it's of course super important to always have a a mindset where you always want to try to become better no matter what you do, I think you, you need to have your process goals there, your long term goals, and and you have to to make uh, you know some sacrifices in order to get there. But I think it's uh, super important to not look at the the results all the time, but to look at more at, at the process. You know, are we becoming better uh, long term? That's for me, the most important thing.
0: So, how much physical sacrifice do you expect from the players you coach?
1: Yeah, I, I always think it's important to to work hard, of course, but I also think it's important to some sometimes also have days off. Because um, players today, they play a lot longer than, than when I used to play. Now you see Stan is 35, 36. Roger is also way above, you know, closing in on 40, you know, playing some of his best tennis. So, but when I was playing, if you were 30 years old, you were, you were already a bit old, you know. So, so I think that's why, why does this happen? I think that uh, com- comes down to the professionalism of, of the, the teams, of the players. Uh, you know, some players are, are travelling with fitness coaches with nutritionists, with a, maybe a, a mental coach, you know, so it's become more professional now. So it's, I think it's, it's important to work hard, but I also think it's important to work smart because the career today is it's much longer than when I was playing.
0: Is it a fine line with younger players? You mentioned you work with very young players. There must be only a certain amount you can do with them physically at a certain age.
1: Yes, of course. There is, uh, there is some, some window of opportunity to train different assets, different things, of course. Uh, when you're younger, it's more about coordination, perhaps, and, and then it becomes more, more important with, with strength and with cardio, with conditioning. So you, you, you have to, to understand what kind of player you have in front of you. You have to look at the age, of course, but you also have to look at the, the abilities. Uh, so, yeah. But, but, but again, it's, it's important to make the, the most out of every day. It's important to be long-term. But with that said, it's, it's not about being lazy or, or doing some things tomorrow because it, it's so, so tough to become good in tennis. So you have to make every, th- every day count, even if it's a day off, even if it means that you're training six hours a day, you need your recovery in between, you need to eat well, you need to sleep well. So you need to think about tennis 365 days out of the year, the year uh, and, and enjoy that journey. It's as simple as that.
0: And if a player does struggle with the mental side of the game, how do you help them improve that? You know, can, can you help someone be strong mentally?
1: I think you can, uh, for sure. It's about, uh, I think, mental strength goes hand in hand with physical strength a little bit. So if you feel like you're you're physically strong, I think you become mentally strong as well. So it's it's all linked together a little bit. But then it's also small things like, like body language, like your, your routines in between points, in between games. So... I'm pretty sure, and I've seen it myself, that it's 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 it is possible to change someone's attitude to become better and win more matches because of the the things that the player do on court.
0: You're listening to Magnus Norman, coach of Stan Wawrinka, and Magnus, let's talk some more about Stan because I mean, despite all of his success, and it is substantial. He still amazingly flies relatively well under the radar, doesn't he? In this this era of the big three, and I guess he's also been in Roger Federer's shadow even in his own country of Switzerland, um, multiple Grand Slam champion, three different slams he's won. How good is Stan?
1: Well, Stan is one of the the best players that ever played the game. I mean, uh, if you look at his records, if you look at winning three Grand Slams, like you said, three different Grand Slams in the era where where you have the, the, the big four playing. Yeah, for me, I think it's uh, he's he's a bit bit little bit uh, underestimated for sure, uh, and he's been in in numerous semifinals as well in, in other Grand Slam finals. So he's had an unbelievable career. He's had an unbelievable career. He's he's been a little bit up and down for sure. He doesn't have the same sort of stability as let's say Andy Murray or Novak or or Roger or Rafa. But but he's you know in his best moments, I think he can beat all of those names uh, on on a very good day. You know so and i think that's that's what makes him a little bit special also like you don't really know which stand to to expect on on the day or on that occasion you know and that's why i think a lot of people really like him a lot of people uh, really like to to watch him play because they you don't really know what to expect of course it's a bit frustrating sometimes as a coach you know to to sit and 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 watch when when he has his days days off but at the same time, it's a challenge to try to as many times as possible throughout the year make him play good tennis. So yeah, it's been it's been an amazing couple of years for sure, and he's one of the best players and and also one of the best human beings. I think to be around, he's been very very nice to his team and to my family, to my kids, to to the rest of the team. So it's been it's been a pleasure to work with him throughout the years.
0: And I guess your million dollar question throughout your time with him must have been. Why is he up and down? You know, how can I make him more consistent, or is that just part of who he is?
1: Yeah, I think I mean Stan is a gambler. Uh, he he plays with small margins. He's uh, he's the kind of guy that would put everything on red, do or die. So this is his personality a little bit. So I think it's very tough to change his personality. But I also think that's the reason why he won three Grand Slams. He can he can rise on on occasion. He can. He can go for, for shots that, you know, normally someone else will play a little bit safe and, and you know, that makes him that dangerous, uh, I think.
0: When you started working together, he'd not reached a Grand Slam semi-final, which obviously he then did. Um, What did you notice when you first started that, that you thought might have been holding him back? Was, were there some obvious things?
1: One of the things that he mentioned was that he uh, I, I made him a winner. Because everybody saw before that he could play great tennis, he, he was sh- challenging the the big players on 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 Grand Slam tournaments. But somehow he told me that the words I'm I'm telling him before a match or or something like this calms him down a little bit and and makes him believe that he can can win on 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 big moments. And it's not something that I particularly maybe I have a gift for this, or maybe our chemistry is is very well suited, you know. Probably this. And in, in his game, the, the thing that I think we, we spoke a lot about is to, for him to be, he, he will always be the gambler, yes, but it's also important at big moments sometimes to rely a little bit on his physical abilities because for me he was super, super strong fitness-wise. But sometimes if you, if you throw in unforced errors too much on big, big, important moments, you, you don't really get to use the physique that he has. So I told him to sometimes challenge the players physically. Uh, so that was maybe one of the things in his in his game that I tried to to talk a lot about in the beginning.
0: Coming full circle, um, before I then ask you about some of the great results he's had, how has that approach changed perhaps to, from then to now? Uh, do you have a a similar way of working together, or is it very different down the line?
1: The core things that we we speak about this will will always be the same, but uh, of course we we change, we we all change, uh, and especially during such a long time that we've been together, you know, he's changing his personality, his life uh, is changing, he's he's a three-time Grand Slam champ- champion, he's older, he cannot play the same schedule now like he did like eight years ago, uh, so, and, and I'm not the same as well, you know, I develop uh, in, in certain ways, so, It's not the same, but I think uh, the the main, the the core things is always going to be, you know, long term. Uh, We're always going to look at the process, uh, try to become better every day and then try to get ready for all the big tournaments uh, with with a good preparation before that. And then, you know, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win. But if you feel like you're doing the right things and you feel like you're getting better all the time, that's the the main thing for us.
0: Technique-wise, his backhand is held up as one of the shots in tennis um, from any era. But in terms of technique across the board, was there anything you worked on in particular when you started out together?
1: Not technically, maybe. But uh, the forehand side has always been the, the side that needs a little bit more work. For sure, it needs more attention. Um, and it can also... I feel like the technique, technical things on the forehand can change sometimes with him. So the forehand side has always been the side that needs a lot of attention. But, uh, but at the same time, you know, his forehand is a bit underrated. Uh, you know, many matches... Many big, uh, big tournaments he's won because of his form as well. So the main thing in this game is to to try to play a little with a little bit bigger targets, the little bit bigger margins over the net, a little a little bit not not always so close to the lines. To rely a little bit more on his physique and his movement.
0: And what about tactics? Because if he is a gambler and he's that kind of player, is he the kind of player who doesn't necessarily want to take lots of tactics into a match, or or do you help him there?
1: He doesn't like to to receive uh, too much information, too many things. Uh, Many times uh, we feel like, uh, I've done the mistake a couple of times where where I tell him a bit too many tactical things and and then he he can get a bit confused. So I try to limit it down to just a couple of points here and there, a couple of bullets. So it's important that those bullets, of course, are the right things. Uh, But yeah, many times we, we try to look at his game, first of all, try to make him as confident and comfortable as possible before the match and try to get him in as good shape as possible uh, because if he can play a good match if he can play good tennis uh, you know it's going to take a lot lot to beat him uh, he's that good you know so we look more at, at his game and then a couple of points here and there a couple of bullets uh, tactical bullets but if it becomes too much then and he gets a bit confused
0: I said I wanted to take you back to you know I, I guess the Aussie Open 2014 is always going to be a special one for, for you both for him and also for you as well beating what Djokovic and then Nadal what what are your memories of of that fortnight and and of him going through and how it all felt
1: I was uh one time playing a grand slam final myself so I know I knew a little bit uh, the feelings that he would perhaps experience uh, the morning uh, of the match and just before the match but the thing that I that I remember is was how how, uh, how relaxed he was he was joking before the match and you know it was was really like uh, looking not so nervous before the game. You know, I remember that um, Seve Luti, uh, the coach of of, of, uh, of Roger and the Davis Cup captain, was was staying a couple of days. You know, to support Stan. He was in the locker room as well before the game, and, and his manager and his friends and family. So it was a great atmosphere before the game. So I, I felt like okay, either this goes uh, really bad or, or, or this this is the, the night. You know. And he, and he was able to come out and, and play some really good tennis in the beginning of the match. And, and that's, yeah, that's, that happened a couple of times in big matches where, where he was really confident, hitting the ball well. Uh, he came out uh, playing some really good tennis in the, in the big moments.
0: And how much did that feel like a just a massive release for him in terms of his career? How big is that? I mean, lo- looking back as well in hindsight.
1: Well, we we never... Me and Stan, we never spoke about winning Grand Slam tournaments. Uh, I, think, uh, I think he never thought that he, he could win a Grand Slam tournament. So I think just the fact that he won uh, like a Grand Slam tournament made him you know, an icon. And then uh, it opened his eyes a little bit and, and he felt like, uh, like you know, he could do it again, perhaps. Uh, but again, we, after Australian Open, we, also, we, like, we were very satisfied. We took a couple of months off. He didn't play until uh, India Wells that year. So we took some time to regroup and take our time, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, and then we started to build again, we started to prepare again, and I, and I think it was, yeah, it was a massive re- release that, that, you know, all of a sudden he was, he was not uh, the player that was uh, underachiever or underachieving in big tournaments, he was a Grand Slam champion, you know, so uh, he, he made it a little bit, and, and I think that took a little bit of pressure off his shoulders.
0: I guess. It, well, he was at it again, wasn't he? J- just a couple of months later, beating Roger in the final in Monte Carlo uh, on clay. Um, another massive win. What is his best surface, do you think?
1: Well, I think the surface that he likes to play mo- most on is clay. Uh, I've asked him the same question. So he feels like he grew up on clay and he feels more more confident on clay than than, than any other surfaces.
0: The next year, you he played Roland Garros. And, and I was wondering... How much you spoke to him? You mentioned you you reached the, your own Grand Slam final that obviously what was Roland Garros 15 years before. Um, I know it didn't go your way that day, but how much of that played into the way he played that final?
1: Well, not so much uh, my career. I think more more that uh, I, me as a coach. I was able to to perhaps uh, help him a little bit, and, and uh, you know against tried to you know say the, the the right words just before the the match and i think uh, i think yeah roland garros was yeah probably the the if if any of those three grand slams stands out a little bit i think the roland garros final beating novak world number 1 on a big stage like that novak was playing some of his best tennis was probably the the grand slam final that stands out a little bit and the way stan was hitting the ball in that final he was like playing winners from from you know every corner basically I remember the backhand across, uh, you know, outside the, the, the net post uh, for a long line winner, for example, and the match point when he was good, running around his backhand from the middle of the court playing long line, for example. So yeah, that was uh, probably the, the grand slam that stands out a little bit for me, I have to say. And the shorts. We all remember the the shorts that he was wearing as well. That, those were pretty ugly, but, but somehow also super nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it worked. It worked on the day. I was, I was wondering th- through all of these, how, how much have you improved as a coach? You know, how, do you chart your own progress as a coach as well? Are you, are you one of these people who kind of is constantly saying, you know, could I do better? Can I do better? For sure.
1: I think if you don't, if you don't try to, to look to get better, I think you, 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 know, you slide down, you don't get better and you, you get worse. So I think I always try to look, uh, look for, to get better and stand. Has helped me a lot. He's taught me so many, so many things as a coach. So I'm, I'm, I'm a totally, totally another coach now than I was when I started with Stan And I'm probably, uh, I'm probably a, a lot better, a lot wiser now than I was, uh, you know, 10 years ago. So a, a lot of credit to Stan because we had a lot of conversations throughout the year. He's not, uh, he's not the guy that will always say yes to his coach. He will sometimes ask why are we doing these things and, and that is uh, challenges me a little bit And, and uh, but it's never, been, it's never been like in a bad way it's always been you want to know why we're doing one drill or why we're doing the schedule or what do I think about this so it's always it, it, it's, it's a learning process for me as well within and uh, yeah it's been uh, it's been great eight years and I think I'm a lot better now as a coach than I was
0: 10 years ago. Give me an idea, though, of what you're doing better. What, what, what Like what?
1: Well, uh, I don't get stressed too much. Uh, now I, I know that uh, you know things will take care of itself. You know, I don't I don't stress for for a, for a loss. I know that uh, you know we we have to think about the long term. Uh, we also have to think about uh, taking days off. Uh, we cannot practice every day. It's okay to take sometimes three days off in the middle of uh, you know of, of a tour. Or, Four or five weeks it's okay to take three days off while before I got a bit stressed you know when we were resting. those kind of things more and uh, and then obviously the way I'm coaching Stan, the way he likes to have the, the tactical work before the, the match and the way he likes to sort of uh, his philosophy around training weeks as well, training blocks uh, you know I learned a lot of things from from Stan and a lot of things from pierre yeah, his fitness coach as well so you know it's been uh, yeah it's been a learning process you know, for me as well.
0: I know you don't like talking about yourself too much but if you'll indulge me I just want to ask you about your own playing career because it, it was a glorious career um first of all though how much do you talk with Stan about your own career and you know what it took to get to number 2
1: This is true I don't like to talk about myself but I'm trying to get better at it uh for sure because I also had a great career and I should be really proud about what I did for sure so we uh, we spoke about my career uh, and we spoke about my career a lot uh, during the French Open when he won. And uh, you know, I, I lost one time as a as a player, and I lost before Stan won. I lost two times with Robin Söderling uh, as a coach as well in the final. So for 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 me in a Grand Slam final in Roland Garros, it was the fourth time uh, lucky. And uh, so we spoke. Yeah, we spoke a lot about that and, and the way he was. Uh, he was sort of contributed his win in, in Roland Garros to me was, was amazing. I, I had to, to, to put my shades on because I was crying a little bit and I felt like like it was a little bit of a revenge for me to win with Stan. Guga was handing the trophy to, to, to Stan. So there was a lot of memories coming back in, in my mind that day. So it was, was special for sure.
0: What stands out as your, I guess, proudest memory or moment as a player?
1: Well, I would say uh, winning, uh, winning. Uh, I mean, winning uh, Davis Cup for Sweden '98. That was big Davis Cup for yeah, playing for your country. Davis Cup with the tradition that we have in Sweden is uh, is obviously huge. So that was that was the last time Sweden won Davis Cup as well '98. And then you know, I had a I had a great season in 2000 when I when I reached number two in the world. Uh, I won in Rome. Uh, a couple of weeks later, i mean finally in Roland Garros where, where I felt like, you know, perhaps I could have won the title as well. So those were my highlights in my career. I'm super proud. I was close to, to winning a Grand Slam, of course. I was just, you know, one set away. And also if I would have won that match, I would have become number one in the world. So, But I try to look at it in a positive way. I try to look at it that, you know, maybe if I be, be, became number one in the world, maybe I wouldn't have. It had the passion to again go out and travel on the tour as a coach so I want I'm one of those guys that no matter what happened, I I try to find the positive things out of the things and and that's the way I I like to look at it as well.
0: Are there any regrets? I would say uh,
1: well not really I mean uh, I I regret that I was uh, you know I was a hard worker so I was probably wearing down my body a little bit too much uh, with with all the training that I did it was it's it was my passion uh, and it was still my passion uh, to the day of today I I did the two ironmans after my career uh, so I, I continue to, to work out pretty much so it's always been a, a you know easy for me to to go out and practice hard but maybe I would have would have been wise to listen to my coaches a bit more, uh, to take more days off because I got injured in the end and uh, my body didn't handle the load.
0: You, you mentioned that you got you got injured and you know the injury. I guess uh, it was a hip, wasn't it? You you had a pr- prolonged hip injury. Um, when he, when you retired though, he finally hung up the racket. You did something totally different. You went and worked you know, in finance and studied and you literally, I gather, didn't pick up your rackets for a long time. What what made you, what got you to that place?
1: Well, I, I was kind of tired of, of all the, the rehab work that I had to do the last couple of years before I finally made the decision to, to stop. So, you know, I was kind of tired of tennis and, you know, I felt a little bit like... Uh, yeah, worn out, so to say. So I, I wanted to have other friends. I wanted to do something completely different. So I went to to a business school in Stockholm, and I started to work in in finance, uh, marketing uh, side of of Catella, which is a big finance grouping in Sweden. But then after a couple of years, you know, I started to I started to miss the locker room talk. I started to meet to miss the you know the excitement before the game. Either you win or you lose, you're happy or sad. I started to to miss that life, you know, because I'm I'm a, I'm a sports guy, so. And then at that time, Thomas Johansson asked me to, to go with him on, on, a, on a trip to, to the States, to Memphis. Uh, so I asked my boss if I could get, uh, you know, vacation for, for, for 10 days. That moment, you know, I started to like coaching. I, I got very involved and I, I, I said to myself, this is what I want to do in the future. And then, uh, then I worked, continued to work with Thomas and I started to work with Robin. And yeah, then it just kept, kept rolling.
0: In hindsight, how important do you think it was that you had that break? just to reset
1: very important good good question good good very good i think it was great to to do something completely different for, for a couple of years uh, it got uh, when i came back to tennis i had another perspective of life i knew there was something else going on also outside the world of tennis and i had a knowledge that uh, that i didn't have a couple of years before about how the world uh, works so i think it was super important to to get out of tennis to be able to come back and look at it with different eyes
0: and you did it again recently, didn't you? You know, you had a massive few years with Stan, obviously, and then you broke away. You're a family man. I know how important that is. Were the same kind of things kind of nagging in in the back of your head? Did you just need another break?
1: Uh, no, not really. It was just, uh, yeah, I'm a father of of uh, two girls, and one of the one of my daughters, uh, I felt like she she. Yeah, she started to not say goodbye when I left home, you know. So I felt like, ah, it's not so good to to. I I need to to stop traveling uh, for for a bit. So that that was that's an easy easy answer, you know. I, I had some problems with with her, and she had problems with me being away. So I wanted to spend more time with her. But but then after you know a couple of months, Stan got injured in his knee, and uh, my daughter she she started to ask about Stan again. You know, why why don't you help Stan now when he's injured and? And then I told her, yeah, but if I, if, I, if, I need, if I have to help Stan, then I need to go away from you. And, you know, that we spoke a lot about that. And, you know, it was tough for me when, when I was away. And then she was quiet for a, for a bit of, for a couple of days. But then she came back to me and said, I think you should help Stan now. <laughs> and then me and Stan started speaking together again. And, uh, yeah, one thing led to another and we sort of found our way back together again. And uh, yeah, I'm super happy to, to be in the part of the team again.
0: That is an incredible story. I, I bet Stan appreciates it too. I hope so. Um, it was during that time as well, I think, that you started doing Ironman. I mean, how on earth did you get into Ironman?
1: Well, yeah, my brother uh, did an Ironman a couple of years ago and i always been a little bit uh, fascinated by, by learning to swim and, and biking and, and running, doing all those things together. And it's a, it's a big physical challenge. So, yeah, that, that's, that's what I did. I, I, I joined a, a Triton club in, in Stockholm Started to work out with them, and, and then I, yeah, I did two Ironmans uh, within uh, within two years, and it was it was a great experience. But it takes also a lot of time, so now I I, I don't have that much time uh, to to do to do it again. And got a little bit injured in my knee, so I tried to take it a little bit slower again. But yeah, it was a great uh, great thing to do because when I when I was traveling with Stan, I, I sometimes I brought my bike. Uh, I've, I always found a pool. Uh, and running is quite easy, so it was a yeah it was became a life lifestyle for me for a couple of years.
0: Remind us how crazy an Ironman is.
1: Four point two kilometers of, of swim, and then it's 100, 180 kilometers of bike, and then it's a marathon, forty two k so running in the end. So it takes uh, yeah it takes around uh, around for me it takes a little bit more than ten hours
0: Good grief. to do.
1: And I, I did uh, Ironman in South Africa, and I did Ironman in in France in Nice.
0: And w- which one was the better one?
1: The better one result was was the one in South Africa, my second one the first one was in nice uh, was quite uh, was, was quite hot it was the end of July in, in france and can and be quite hot and I was really hot during the day and the the bike was in the mountains and I sort of over over pushed it a little bit on the bike, so I cooked on the run so it was was a was a struggle on the run it was able to finish but South Africa was a bit smoother
0: What do you think is going to be the next chapter? I mean do you talk with Stan? You mentioned he's 35. You know, he's his career is reaching its twilight. Um, have you broached that at all? Are, are you thinking beyond?
1: Uh, I'm not thinking beyond Stan. No, I'm, uh, I'm 100% committed to to help Stan now. Uh, and uh, we, uh, the, the 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 thing that the approach that I have for, for him now, with the knowledge that I have about my own career and helping other players, is that I think Stan should play tennis and tournaments when he feels like. I want to play now and I want to play in this city and I want to play these kind of tournaments, you know, he should not, for me, he should not play if he feels tired or if he feels like he wants to stay at home or if he feels like, oh, I don't want to travel that far or to this country. I think Stan winning three Grand Slams, one of the, the you know, the, the, the biggest names in tennis, he should, he should play when, when he feels like I really want to play now. That's my message to him.
0: So it's no longer a case of setting goals with Stan, because as a coach you must want to.
1: No, for sure, no, no, it's, it's, that's not equally with with not having any goals. For sure, not. Uh, we have, uh, we have a lot of things that we want to achieve and a lot of things that we want to work on to become better. So, but it's just to, to be a little bit smart with the scheduling. You know, if he plays too much and if he, you know, I, I don't think it's good for his tennis. So it should be always. With his experience, with his knowledge, I think it's, uh, you know, he should play when he feels like, no, I really want to play against. But that doesn't mean that uh, the goal is not there anymore. The, the goals are 100% there. And I think this year, in the beginning of the year, he started the year so well, you know, with the semis in, in Doha, and the quarters in the Australian Open, with the, the taste of it a little bit more. So I felt like, yeah, it's, the whole Corona thing was a bit tough for us, for sure, because now everybody has to start from basically zero again. But I felt like he was in a good, uh, good groove this year.
0: And when you've won three Grand Slams and you've won Masters and you're 35 and you've been number three in the world, what, what, what does your goal look like?
1: in terms of winning or losing, I think we always look at long term. We always look at the process. We always try to, to become better. Uh, there are always things to work on and there's always the tournament that you want to try to, to be as fit as possible uh, for. Uh, and uh, yeah, we make the schedule every year and we, we, we work around the schedule. So we try to meet on a regular basis and, and have our practice days and then we go to tournaments together. But yeah, it would be nice to yeah to play well, for sure, in the bigger tournaments, but also to, to win... Uh, uh, to win the tournament again for Stan because he hasn't won a tournament in, in quite some time, you know, even if it's a, a smaller uh, 250 tournament or a 500 tournament, doesn't really matter, but it would be nice, I think, to win the tournament again.
0: And, and just finally, but before I let you go, Magnus, um, what is next immediately in terms of working with Stan? What, what does that look like?
1: Well, being a Swede now traveling, it's a bit tough because a lot of countries doesn't like to, that the Swedes come to their country and Switzerland is one of those countries. So it's, it's uh, almost impossible for me to fly to, to Switzerland, but we can, we're going we're gonna to meet in, in Monaco and we're going to practice together, obviously, uh, try to prepare as well as possible for the, uh, the American swing that is on the schedule. Uh, it's going to start in Monaco in in, uh, in a couple of weeks and uh, yeah, that's that's the plan.
0: And there's a lot of tennis, isn't there, with with all of the clay court swing backing up after that. How how much tennis do you think you'll be looking at with Stan? Are you going to try and play as many as you can?
1: Again, we're going to try to play as many as, as we can and uh, when he's hungry to play, we're going to play. If he's not hungry to play, we're not going to play. So uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we, we're going to see how it goes a little bit in the States and then we gonna take it from there. Uh, right now the schedule is to play as much as possible but if he plays really well you know we might be able to we, we might have to pull out because you know uh, he's at this age where, where where he cannot play you know day in and day out for for, for many weeks in a row so we're just gonna kind of see how it goes a little bit and how he feels when he starts you know hopefully he, he's uh, he's mentally ready to go and, and fresh and, and physically also ready to go so, so we're gonna see in the States a little bit how, how things uh, develops.
0: And the best of luck to Magnus and Stan Wawrinka for the upcoming US Swing. And if you enjoyed that chat and want to hear even more from Magnus, including his favourite opponents and the player he most hated facing, head to our exclusives channel on TuneIn. And at the end of that extended chat with Magnus, you can also hear two more Swedish greats, Magnus' own idol Stefan Edberg and Mats Villander, who are on this week's Tennis United show. That is well worth a listen. Join us next week when we'll be with Neville Godwin, the coach behind the 2018 Australian Open semi-finalist Hyun Chung. He's battling back from injury. We hear from Neville about all of that and why Chung is being compared with Novak Djokovic. That's all to come next week. Join us then. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.